Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. We are in Genesis chapter 30 uh, at verse 25. And while you're flipping to verse 25 in Genesis 30, I'll kind of catch you up. Last time we were together in the book of Genesis, we were doing the baby wars, okay? Where Jacob, uh, unbeknownst to his, himself, his uncle Laban tricked him and gave him the older sister Leah for bride, and, and then he ended up with Rachel and uh, Lots of deception, lots of trickery, lots of cunning, but of course it's apt for the life of Jacob because his name means heel catcher, and this is how he's been living his life. And now God is working in his life through his lifestyle. And, you know, kind of funny how that works with each and every one of us. He'll meet us where we're at. He knows our personalities. He knows our strengths. He knows our weaknesses, and He knows how to speak to us, and He does. And He gives Jacob these two wives, and they have their handmaids, and, and you know the story. There's envy, lots of envy, lots of jealousy, and all these babies are being born uh, to Leah and her maidservant Zilpah, then to Rachel's maidservant Bilhah, because Rachel can't conceive, and, and they're naming all these babies, these names that are kind of like war. Like, ha ha, I got you, you know. Uh, his name is, uh, you know, an army, or his name is, you know, vengeance or judging or, or whatever. And you're like, can you imagine growing up in that family? And then every one of those kids, you know, it's like perpetual warfare. And we're going to see. We did see at the last part, uh, Rachel finally had a child named his name Joseph, which means he will add. And uh, truly, she was speaking prophetically because Joseph will be the son who saves these. 12 boys, one not yet born. We'll see him in a couple chapters, Benjamin. But Joseph will save them and the nation Israel as um, Joseph is, or Jacob is renamed. But, but just kind of a mess. So here we are now at verse 25 in chapter 30 of Genesis. And it came to pass when Rachel had born Joseph that Jacob said to Laban, Send me away that I may go to my own place and to my own country. Give me my wives and my children for whom I have served you, and let me go, for you know my service which I have done for you. And Laban said to him, Please stay if I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience that the Lord has blessed me for your sake. Lord willing, we're going to cover this chapter and the next chapter today. So I'm going to move rather quickly, but what we see here is now Jacob, after having married two wives, had, had all these children, uh, he, he's like, it's time for me to go now. It's, it's about time for me to, to take everything that God has sent me here to receive. I, he sent me here to get a wife. I got that in spades, and I'm ready to come home, okay? And so we, we get this little... This, this little vignette going into what's coming up in this next little section. But one of the things I want to make sure that we notice as we go through all of this is Jacob, when he met God at Bethel in that dream where he saw the ladder ascending and angels descending and ascending on it and, and the Lord at the top, uh, we, we see that Jacob has what we would refer to as a, a born-again experience. He knew of God. He knew of the God of his father, Abraham, Isaac, 
He, he wanted all the stuff that came with that God, but it's not until we read about this in Genesis chapter 28 where he has that dream that he has his own first personal encounter with God himself. And that's the same for you and I. We could go to church our whole life, but are you coming to Jesus? Are, are, are you here because of the worship, which is great, or the Word, which is phenomenal? Or are you here because we know that Jesus is in the house and I want to encounter Him this morning personally, privately? Lord, here I am. Speak to me. Touch me. Change me. Don't let me walk out the door the same way I came in. I'm standing before Almighty God, Creator of the heavens and the earth, Redeemer of my soul. Lord, I need you. Touch me. Move me and send me on. And that's where Jacob is at now. We've watched his witness, beginning with taking that stone that he slept on and pouring oil on it and sending a pillar, a memorial to God. And as he walks forward in his witness, we see his witness and his walk. Now he's walking by the Spirit, no longer by the flesh, no longer carnally, or at least he's in that process, the $5 word, sanctification. Once you've been born again, you begin walking with the Lord. You're not a perfect person. Jacob's not a perfect person. But now your goals and objectives have changed, and you want to serve God as poorly as you may even do it at first, as stumbling, just like a toddler learning to walk, but you're walking by the Spirit, and God is working with you. So we see His witness, we see His walk, and we see His work, and His work ethic coming forward. And now he's been with Laban these many years, and he's really worked as unto the Lord. And because of that, then God has been able to bless Jacob mightily. So we come to verse 28. Then he said, name your wages and I will give it. Laban. Now we know Laban. This is his uncle. Rather crafty, rather sneaky. In fact, I'd say that Laban is Jacob on steroids. Jacob has met his match, and, and he is quite the shrewd negotiator himself. And he says, name your wages and I will give it. So Jacob said to him, you know how I have served you and how your livestock has been with me. For what you had before I came was little, and it has increased to great amount. The Lord has blessed you since my coming. And now, when shall I also provide for my own house? So Laban says, name your wages. And, and Jacob says, wait a minute, you know, when I came here, you didn't have a lot. When I did come here, he says, since my coming. It's an interesting uh, Hebrew phrase, that word for since my coming is literally at my foot, which wouldn't make any sense if we read since at my foot. But what it means, and really it is, since I have been walking with the Lord and working with the Lord and witnessing to the Lord, and I have come into your family and into this community, man, you are prospering, Laban right? And, and that's all on account of me. We talked about this earlier when Jacob had left for Haran to go find a bride, that he had that walk with the Lord, happy feet. And that literally was the translation, happy feet. When you're walking in the Spirit, it's like you have happy feet. And what you do, you do as unto the Lord. Life is no longer trudging, but it's dancing. It's as unto the Lord. And these happy feet have brought prosperity. And Jacob says, you know, Laban, you didn't have a lot since I've been here. Look at all that's been going on. There might be a double entendre in there also in that Jacob be saying, you know how this has worked out since I came here. You've been cheating me. You've been uh, selling me one thing and switching, bait and switch on me. And it's been a long time, Laban, and you know how you've been working, but you know how I have been working with integrity 
and diligence, and, I, and I'm doing it as unto the Lord. Um, and, but he says, and now, how shall I provide for my own house? It's, it's time for me to look out for my family. I, now that I have a family, <laughs> my wives, my, my children, what, how am I going to take care of them? I need something that's mine. Everything I've been doing so far is for you. Verse 31, so he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this thing for me, I will again feed and keep your flocks. Let me pass through all your flock today, removing from there all the speckled and spotted sheep and the brown ones among the lambs and the spotted and speckled among the goats, and these shall be my wages. So my righteousness will answer for me in time to come. When the subject of my wages comes before you, that every one that is not speckled and spotted among the goats and brown among the lambs will be considered stolen if it is with me. And Laban said, oh, that it were according to your word. So he removed that day the male goats that were speckled and spotted and the female goats that were speckled and spotted and every one that had some white in it and all the brown ones among the lambs and gave them into the hand of his sons. Then he put three days' journey between himself and Jacob, and Jacob fed the rest of Laban's flock. Okay. If you're not familiar with animal husbandry, raising up animals, or even this type of a scenario, you might have to read this three, four, six, seven times to kind of really figure out what is it that he's actually doing. But remember, he started off, I don't want you to give me anything. I'm not asking for you to give me anything. But you know, since I've been here, that everything I do prospers. So all I'm asking is to earn my own, okay? You keep everything you got, Laban. I'm not taking a dime of it, but I will, through my efforts, continue to prosper you and put together a little for myself. That's not unreasonable, okay? And so he uses this idea of the sheep and the shepherd and multiplying the flocks. Just a little tickle for your brain. Remember when we first met Jacob? He was in the tent of Isaac and Rebekah, and he had a brother. Remember his brother? Esau. And what did Isaac like so much about Esau? He was a man of the field. He's a swarthy, hearty man, right? He comes in smelling of the bushes when he's out there. He loves it that he brings in his game. And then how was Jacob when we met him? He was in the tent. He was cooking. He was more domestic. The Bible says he's a perfect man, which just means well-rounded. It's okay, guys. You can cook for yourself. But Jacob wasn't that guy of the field. But what is he now? Ah, he's been out in that field working hard for 20 years. No doubt he's a redneck. No doubt he's got a sunburn back there, right? No doubt he has really grown in that part of his life. And so he's like, I got this idea because what I'm doing, caring for your flocks, is working out for me. So he plans to keep the speckled that are born to the solid color ones. So we're going to get into this in just a little bit, but he says, okay, Uncle Laban, you take all the spotted, striped, speckled ones. We'll give them to you. I'll just keep the solid-colored ones. And then whatever comes out of that herd of solid-colored ones that is speckled, striped, and spotted, those will be mine. And J J uh, Laban is, oh, that it would be so. If you know a little bit about breeding animals, you breed solid-colored animals, they naturally come out spotted, spi striped, and speckled, right? No. Somebody say no. 
that's not how it works usually, right? But, but Jacob, he, he, he's been out there. He's been in the field. He sees what's happening. And, it's, and we do know that if you do breed two solid colored ones, can you occasionally get a striped or speckled or spotted one? Sure, occasionally, but that's not the predominant thing, right? So he's like, I'm not going to take anything from yours, but this little bit, this little piece, I'll just, I'll, I'll just siphon off those few of the flock. And Laban says, wow, that's a great deal, okay? So he removed and he even put them three days apart, so there's no chance of any sneaky work going on here. Verse 37, now Jacob took for himself rods of green poplar at the almond of of the almond and the chestnut and peeled white strips in them and exposed the white which is in the rods. And the rods which he had peeled he set before the flocks in the gutters in the watering troughs where the flocks came to drink so that they should conceive when they came to drink. So the flocks conceived before the rods and the flocks brought forth streaked, speckled, and spotted. Okay, that was the goal, right? Then Jacob separated the lambs and made the flocks face toward the streaked and all the brown in the flock of Laban, but he put his own flocks by themselves and did not put them with Laban's flocks. And it came to pass, whenever the stronger livestock conceived, that Jacob placed rods before the eyes of the livestock in the gutters, that they might conceive among the rods. But when the flocks were feeble, he did not put them in, so the feebler were Laban's and the stronger Jacob's. Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had large flocks, female and male servants, camels and donkeys. Woohoo! We got anybody, here, anybody in here doing 4-H projects, raising sheep, raising goats? There's the key. That's the secret. You want to win 4-H? You want to you do well, you know, with our, our herds and our flocks? Just get a couple birch rods, almonds, just put some stripes in them, throw them in the trough. You guys are going to be fabulously wealthy. Is that, is that what that said? That's what it sounds like it says. And I know when I first read it as a Christian, I'm like... This is one of the places in the Bible I'm stumbling. <laughs> I'm not sure how that works, okay? Uh, I'm not, you know, a, a super biologist, but I, you know, I got, I got good grades in biology. I know how this works, and that just doesn't seem to be right. Well, let's make sure we see what it is and what it isn't. But one of the things, just to point out, um, is that this isn't... Uh, sorcery. It isn't superstition. It isn't uh, some kind of a, a magic rabbit's foot that's going to make things happen. We're going to see in chapter 31. You know what it is? Anybody read chapter 31 yet? You know what it is? Okay, ready? Let's see. I'll, I'll ask the kindergarten. I'll ask the kids down in Sunday school what it is, and then I'll be quiet for a minute and see if you can hear the answer, okay? Okay, kids, what caused all these flocks to behave that way when Jacob put these rods in the feeding trough? That's the answer. It is. It's God, okay? It says in chapter 31, it was God who did all of these things, okay? But we, in our nature, in our flesh, in our material, got to see it, touch it, taste it, feel it, you know, they're like, what's the secret? Oh, the rods, that's it. Something I can hold on to, something tangible. That must be the secret. It's not. It's God. It's going to say that when we get into chapter 31. But right here, you're tending to think that, and it really doesn't even say that. All it really does say is that when they put the rods in the trough, that causes 
the animals to go into heat and to estrus, and so they were, they were more fertile, but it doesn't have anything to do with spotted, speckled, striper, pure, solid, okay? That's not even addressed in here. So, we look at some of these things, and even the idea, does that cause them to um, want to have children? Well, does that excite them more or something like that? Scientifically, that's a, that's a, a thing we can't be saying anything on. They've done scientific experiments, in case you're wondering, and no, they haven't been able to recreate this experiment, okay? But that's not what it's really saying, so don't get distracted by that. But what we do see is that when they conceived, these solid color ones did throw a couple spotted speckled streaked, right? And Jacob would then segregate those, and then he would took the solid ones, and he'd make them face over towards Laban's flock, okay, just, which is to say away from the other speckled spots. And then when they came to the troughs, he would encourage them um, to mate, and then he would have all the speckled and spotted ones, the strong ones mating, and the weak and feeble solid ones, he wasn't increasing or encouraging or anything like that. So naturally what he did, he just worked the laws of hereditary, a heredity, and was able to take that small section that came out of it and grow it and expand it. How do you think he knew all that? 20 years sheep herding teaches you quite a bit. He, he had seen it over and over and over again. There was a, name by, a man by the name of Gregor Mendel. He was an Augustinian monk in the 1800s, and he started doing experiments with uh, plant hybridization. He would take sweet peas at the time, and these sweet peas had different characteristics, different flowers, different growth habits, and he would take this kind of sweet pea, the white one, this kind of the sweet pea, the red one, and he would then cross-pollinate them, and guess what happened? Every now and again, he'd get a sweet pea with a pink flower, right? And what he was doing, he was stumbling on what we know as uh, dominant and recessive genes, Okay, and so what he was doing, he was, he was the founder, he's known as, his nickname is Father of Genetics, right? And some of his sweet peas were the first GMO, genetically modified organisms. I'm going to take this gene, take this gene, we're going to cross them up, and the mom produces half of the gene, the dad produces half, and a little red, a little pink. Some of the flowers come out white, some of the flowers come out red, but some come out pink. And guess what happens? If you start taking all those pink ones and crossing them together, you know what you get a lot of? More pink ones, okay? This isn't rocket science, and people look at this passage in the Scripture and like, I'm trying to figure out what's going on. Jacob figured it out 3,000 years ago. You just got to hang out and do it. And that's kind of what happened, but then he was able to increase his standing before the flocks. It says in verse 30, 43, Thus the man became exceedingly prosperous and had flocks and female and male servants and camels and donkeys. Thus, okay, so he not only got large flocks out of this deal, but because his flocks were so large, he could barter that into building his household, that which he set out to do. How am I going to grow my home? And so he had uh, even donkeys and lots of camels, we're going to say. So he built his little empire based on this genetic modification that he stumbled upon. Um, kind of groovy, okay? 
One of the, and it says there, it says he became exceedingly prosperous. I love it in the Hebrew when you start breaking it down and you transliterate it. You go, literally, what does the Hebrew say? And the Hebrew actually says, the man burst out exceedingly, exceedingly, okay? He didn't just burst out even successfully successful. It was exceedingly exceeding, okay? But what was he doing? He was just using the principles, the laws of nature that God had uh, laid out for him. He worked with them, and he monopolized on that, and, and he was able to do this wonderful, exceedingly exceeding thing. He became very prosperous. In fact, he became more prosperous than his uncle Laban. Even though he had worked for him all those years for his wives and, and served him and built Laban's kingdom, now in a short time, he has exceeded Laban's kingdom. We saw this happen earlier with Isaac and Abimelech when they went to the wells that Abraham's father had dug, and what happened, the servants of Abimelech became jealous. They became envious. Even though it was Abraham who dug the wells and Abraham's servants, they put the blood, sweat, and tears into it, then the workers of Abimelech were envious and jealous, and it caused all kinds of contention to where they kind of had to move on away from one another. And so, this is repeating, right? And it's interesting, the rabbis, and I, I speak of the rabbis, you've never met the rabbis, I actually never met the rabbis, it's something that rabbis say if you read some of the uh, Jewish commentary, but the rabbis will say that pattern is prophecy. When God starts showing us a pattern, and we see the pattern over and over again, we can see God is speaking, and that's what prophecy means, God is speaking. When we start seeing patterns repeat, you can say, wow, I'll bet God's in it. And you watch these patterns, even the pattern with uh, Abraham and Abimelech and the servants and the wells and Isaac and now Jacob and the flocks and Laban, and you start seeing some patterns. You go, hmm, I wonder what God's trying to say here, Right? A couple things we might learn about Jacob and maybe some of his principles for prosperity. Uh, we see in verse 26, 25 and 26, he says, don't make wealth your goal. You want to be prosperous? Don't make wealth your goal. Jacob set out to serve and to do a good job, to work hard, put in a day's work for a day's wages, a work ethic. And, and he wasn't worried about what his compensation would be. In fact, we notice he ended up getting well, Leah, and then he got Rachel. But in all these things, uh, he was getting some very interesting <laughs> uh, wages for his work, but his, his goal wasn't to be wealthy. And this is something we can do well to, to learn from. Work for work's sake. Work for honoring God's sake. Work to serve others. Work to make the world a better place. Make sure the reason you get up and you go to work is not because you're trying to cash a paycheck. You can work to live or you can live to work. And trust me, living to work is a lot more fun. If you're working to live, it's like every day you're grinding it out, got to get the paycheck, got to pack, cash the bills. Next month, do it over again, do it over again, do it over again. But if you live to work, you get up in the morning, Woohoo! I get to work today. What am I going to do today? Life is just fantastic. Don't work for wealth. Work for work's sake. Be glad to work, one of his principles. Don't be afraid to work for others to increase their wealth as you work to increase your own wealth. Is it all right that your employer or that your customer 
prospers because of your efforts. Is that, I mean, it, it better be or you're out of business or your boss is closing his shop and you don't have a job anymore. You should be working to make your customer happy. You should be working to make your boss happy and build his empire. It's okay. He's probably invested all kinds of time, sweat, and effort into it before you ever came on the scene. And he is providing you a job. Work to help him be prosperous. You know, if he's prosperous, you're going to do better yourself, right? So don't be afraid of helping your boss or your customer do better than you are. That's okay. You need to get your priorities straight and work hard. Another principle of Jacob's prosperity. Dedicate your labor to God's glory and your employees or customers' success. But it's called work. There's a reason it's called work, because it's work. <laughs> and there, I don't know, it just, sometimes I scratch my head, I come across people and they're, they come to me for counseling, I don't know why I've got my problems, this is, and then I'm like, and not always, but it's not uncommon how often they don't work or don't want to work or they have every reason in the world and there's a list of them why I can't work or why I don't work. And I'm like, well, you know, I, I can't fix your problem for you. I've got to work. I've got to do my work to make my bills and, and you know, take care of my life and to serve my Lord. And you're going to have to figure that one on your own. But don't be afraid of hard work. And, and can I have an old moment, boomer moment? You didn't say yes. Uh, okay, I got more yeses than a boomer moment young generation. It's not going to be easy. Whoever told you it was going to be easy, it's hard work. And you, you, you got to roll up your sleeves and get to it, okay? I wish I could tell it to you in any other way. I wish I could candy coat it, but that's the, the, the nut of it. You're going to have to work. Find something, but do it as unto the Lord. Find something that you're blessing the world with, and you'll find it's not near as... Uh, laborious, right? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down. You know, whistle while you work. You'll find joy. You'll dance. You'll have happy feet. You'll be bringing prosperity to others and yourself, but, but work. And then uh, finally, uh, on that, trust God. Keys to prosperity and success, everything comes from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, and who is no shadow or variableness or changing or turning. There, it, if it's good, it's from God, okay? And, and as you give unto the Lord without reservation, just joyously be a cheerful giver, you will not be able to outgive God. It doesn't work that way. Just test Him on this. In fact, that's the only test I know of in the Bible. You find it in Malachi 3.10. He says, why don't you give to me? Try me on this one and see if it's not true and that I don't open the windows of heaven and just pour down upon you more than all your barns can hold, okay? It's a spiritual law, sowing and reaping. And so you need to work. You need to work as unto the Lord. You need to work hard and you need to work for the betterment of others. And along the way, God's going to prosper you. Interesting in all of this, they became jealous. It says, now Jacob heard the words, this is verse 31, of Laban's son saying, Jacob has taken away all that was our father's, and from what our father's, he has acquired all his wealth. And Jacob saw the countenance of Laban, and indeed it was not favorable toward him as before. Envy, the green-eyed monster, 
right? We've already had envy, right? Jacob envied Esau. He envied his birthright. He envied that, you know, that blessing of God. We've watched envy go on through. We've seen envy with Leah and Rachel. And, and here, Laban's sons are envious, and envy is a big problem, okay? And envy is not bad only because of the envy itself, but also because of the company it keeps, okay? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3, we read, and this is Paul. He's rebuking the church in Corinth, okay? It's strong words. He says, for you are still carnal. That means fleshly. You're, at, you're not walking in the Spirit. You're walking in your own works, in your own power. For you are still carnal. For where there are, and he starts a list, where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? Envy is not good. And it's funny how envy keeps company. People who complain about their circumstances and, oh, I wish I had what he has. And it's not fair that she has that. And pretty soon, you'll find that people who are hard workers and are not envious, they're just going to kind of walk away from you. This, I don't have time for this kind of conversation. But you will find those that will gather with you and they'll join in and they'll sing the same song with you of envy. In James chapter 3.16, we read, For where envy and self-seeking exist confusion and every evil thing are there. Do you want to go to the place where every evil thing is? Do you know how to get there? Envy. It's the door. It's the ticket. Where envy and strife exist, that's where confusion and every evil thing exists. Don't open that door. What is envy? Envy is looking upon what others have or who others are or what God has done for somebody and wishing to have it for yourselves. It's actually a commandment. It's the 10th commandment. Thou shall not covet. Don't think that somehow God has shortchanged you and I want what my neighbor has. This time of the year, maybe it's a new lawnmower. My neighbor has a really great riding lawnmower, and i got a push lawnmower. Oh, man, why does he have that? Why can't I have that? And blah, 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 blah. Just mow your lawn. <laughs> you got a lawnmower, praise God. In the Philippines, they would actually sit on their hands and knees with little hand clippers. I am not kidding. Okay? You got a lawnmower, praise the Lord. Okay? Um, envy, it's a, it's a gateway to confusion, evil things. And uh, it's carnal. It's of the flesh. It's not of the Lord. And God wants to deliver us from envy. In Titus 3.3, we read, For we ourselves, and so Paul includes himself in this list. I include myself in this list. You, you include yourself in this list. Trust me, even if you don't think you do, you do. For we ourselves were also once foolish, amen, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But praise God, what does Paul say? You once were, you no longer are. Those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord, who believe in their heart that God is raised from the dead, have been born again and filled with His Holy Spirit and walk in the Spirit, no longer Look around at the world in envy. How can you envy anybody when you are indwelt with God Almighty, the Holy Ghost? What more do you want? 
You, your sins are forgiven. You've got a ticket to heaven. You've got an opportunity to share it with others. God has given you a light that you can shine that others could see him and glorify him. Really? And you want a new lawnmower? And to be sure, envy is no small sin. Okay? Consider, it put Jesus on the cross. In Matthew 27, 17 and 18, we read, Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Christ? For he knew that they had handed him over because of envy. Envy put Jesus on the cross. I don't want to have any part with that. This green-eyed monster of envy, it sees the world through self rather than through God. It's selfish, and you need to get your eyes off yourself and see what God sees. Interesting passage in the Gospel of John. It happened after the resurrection. It happened at the last chapter in John where they're gathered on the Sea of Galilee, and then uh, Jesus makes breakfast. He reinstates Peter. He says, feed my sheep, and all these kinds of things. The very last verses, it's amazing that John includes this in here. But in John 21, 21 and 22, John writes, and Peter, seeing him, seeing John, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? You follow me, okay? You need to get your eyes off yourself. You need to get your eyes on God, and you'll find that envy will work and fix a, a multitude of things. Instead of envy, try love. 1 Corinthians 13.4, love suffers long, 20 years. What do I got to show for it? Love suffers long and is kind and did not revile or accuse but continue to negotiate with his wicked uncle, and love does not envy. My uncle has all this but wait a minute, don't I have what I came here for? Don't I have what God told me I was going to have? He gave me a promise, and He gave me a wife, and He gave me a family. Oh, and I have something back home waiting for me. I have my inheritance there. We are of our inheritance in heaven, and we really don't need to look at the world and be envious of what the world has. In Psalm 37, I'll read a couple passages, but... Um, Verses 1 through 9, do not fret because of evildoers, no, be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass." He shall bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. It only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. And the close of Psalm 37, verse 37, mark the blameless man and observe the upright. 
For the future of that man is peace, but the transgressors shall be destroyed together. The future of the wicked shall be cut off, but the salvation of the righteousness of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in the time of trouble, and the Lord shall help them and deliver them, and shall deliver them from their wicked, and shall save them because they trust in Him. So we've got envy cropping up here in this crew of guys, and uh, we see all of this. There, there's something that happened to me this week was kind of interesting. I received, uh, I received all kinds of um, texts and links and podcast information or news feeds or whatever from you all, and there, was one, there were two that came across to me that I, I looked at them, and I, I, was, I was relatively impressed by them, and it has to do with interviews of a gentleman by the name of Dr. Robert Malone. You may know of him. If you don't, he is a gentleman who is responsible for creating 10 patents that have to do with the mRNA technology, okay? He is the pioneer in that field of genetics with being able to introduce mRNA into a, into a cell, okay? And this is his life's work, and he's been working on that for a long time. Well, I heard these two interviews, one of them from the Epic Times. It's a movie called Headwind 2, okay? Very good movie to watch. I, I recommend it. Um, won't hurt you. It's interesting. Um, and it's not as... Um, radical or agenda strewn as you might think. He's just talking about himself and his walk and, and, and what's happened to him over the last two years. And also, at just same time, somebody sent me a link to Charlie Kirk, uh, Turning Point USA, where he did an interview with Dr. Robert Malone. I'm like, oh, this is interesting. Two, two of these in one week. But in all of this, it's kind of interesting because they were discussing in the movie and in the podcast in light of the last two years. Anybody heard about the last two years? In light of the last two years, okay, with the coronavirus, with mRNA injections, with masks, with lockdowns, with uh, Dr. Robert Malone being deplatformed, okay, his, his, his pulpit taken away, and being labeled an anti-vaxxer, which is super ironic because his whole life has been about creating vaccines. He's not an anti-vaxxer, but that's what happened to him. He's been disparaged in all of these things. He's had this constant headwind over the last two years, and just running against the grain. Everybody's rejecting him and his message, deplatforming him and disparaging him. The FDA, the CDC, the NIAID, uh, WHO, World Health Organization, issues of the Great Reset, and all different kinds of things coming on, and he's bucking the tide. He's, he's running against the wind in all of this. But it's not, about, it's not about the mRNA. It's not about the vaccine. It's really about your heart. What, what are you doing? This is what the interviews were about. I thought it was very enlightening in all of that. And at the end, in both interviews, he was asked the question, in light of the fact that you've been deplatformed, your voice is being silenced, and you can see things that, you know, the world seems to be going in a completely different direction. Dr. Malone, do you think we can turn this thing around? And he says, I don't know. I really don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I do know this. What we do have to do is roll up our sleeves and get to work. If we do not engage, if we do not work, and if we do not seek after truth, if we do not seek after justice, if we do not live for what is good and beautiful, they win by default. We have to work, 
and I would even say, and I, I kind of sum it up, we must live beautifully. We must walk in the Spirit. We must live in the truth. We must uh, shine the light of God. Whatever is going on in this world, whatever difficulties we might fight, face, Jacob faced 20 years of working for a crook who was ripping him off over and over and over again. And now it's Laban times all of Laban's sons are coming after him. What are you going to do? Roll up your sleeves, live beautifully, because that is the antidote. That is the thing that the world doesn't understand and can't combat and can't fight when you are a vessel of the Holy Spirit, when you allow God's light to so shine through you that men see your good works and glorify God in heaven. Wow! Jesus is in the house. That is how we fight our battles. That is how we win the war. And this is the story of Jacob. So I'm going to try to finish out of him real quick here. So you'll have to buckle your seatbelts. Verse 3, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your family and I will be with you. So Jacob sent and called Rachel and Leah to the field to his flock. Okay, family council meeting. Okay, he saw that Laban and the brothers despised him. Okay, wife, and in his case, wives. Okay, and child, in his case, children. We're going to have a family council. And said to them, I see your father's countenance, that it is not favorable toward me as before, but the God of my father has been with me. Good dad, okay, faithful father, good husband, leading his family according to the word of God, the truth of God, the promises of God. Uh, we've got a problem, family, but God. Okay? And you know that with all my might I have served your father. Your father has deceived me and changed my wages ten times, but God did not allow him to hurt me. It'd be bad enough if he changed it once and said, okay, you get Leah, and then you have to work for Rachel again. It wasn't that one time. It was happening over and over and over again. Verse 8, if he th said thus, the speckled shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore speckled. And if he said thus, the streak shall be your wages, then all the flocks bore streak. And God has taken away the livestock of your father and given them to me. Who did that? Was it a striped pole? It's God. God's the one who's blessing. I honor God. God has blessed us. Verse 10, and it happened at the time when the flocks conceived that I lifted my eyes and saw in a dream, and behold, the rams which leaped upon the flocks were streaked and speckled and gray spotted. Then the angel of God, and often we think of this as a, a vision or appearance, uh, a visit from God Almighty Himself. The angel of God, when you see the capital A, when you see the um, article the, not an angel, but the angel of God, we're usually talking about a pre-incarnate, which is to say before Jesus became flesh, when He was born in the manger, before His incarnation, a pre-incarnate visitation of Jesus Christ. And now Jacob is relating to his family, I've been talking to Jesus. This is what God has told me. He's shown me this dream. He's shown me this vision. Not the first dream. God speaks in dreams. And he says, the angel of the God spoke to me in a dream saying, Jacob, and I said, here I am. And I, he said, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which leap on the, leap on the flocks are streaked, speckled, and gray spotted, for I have seen all that Laban is doing to you. God's been watching this whole time. I don't know who you are, but I do know this about you. God's been watching this whole time. 
Whatever it is you're going through in life, I don't, it doesn't matter. Don't, don't let the devil fool you into things that God doesn't know. He's watching. Why, God? Why so long? When's this going to end? In my good time, I'm preparing you. I'm doing a work in you. Okay, hold on there. He says, lift your eyes now and see all the rams which sleep on the flocks are streaked, speckled, gray, and spotted, for I've seen all that Laban is doing to you. I am the God of Bethel. I am the God that you met when you met me face-to-face, in person. You became a new creation in Christ. You were born again. You're indwelt with the Holy Spirit. Do you remember the day that you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and became a new creature in Christ? That's what Jesus is doing right now with Jacob. He says, remember? Remember me? This is me. I am the God of new beginnings. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. I am the Almighty God. And what I set to do, I do. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Time's over. The work is done. We finished the project. Interesting to note here, Jacob the heel catcher, that's what his name means, remember, has been witnessing, he's been working, he's been walking for 20 years now. And finally, the time has come. Now, get out and go home, right? There's a saying, time wounds all heels and heals all wounds. And time wounded the heel catcher, but the heel catcher has been healed, okay? Interesting thing about wounds. Uh, You know, surgery when they cut you open, that's a wound. And when a surgeon goes in and has to remove something or repair something, he's going to have to cut you, he's going to have to wound you, he's going to have to heal you, but you will not get healed until you get wounded. You need to take the thing out that's hurting you and then let God do that perfect work in you. And just in case you're wondering, why does it have to be that way? You could ask Jesus, Father, is there any other way? Not my will, thy will be done. And God wounded him on that cross, his hands, his feet, his side, his stripes, his crown. He was wounded for our transgressions, yet by his stripes we are healed. And so if you're going through a hard patch, just know God knows. And just know, God is doing a work in you. And sometimes it hurts. But often we need to be hurt before we can heal. That's happening here. Um, And like Jacob, God is working on our hearts. He's preparing us. He's preparing our future, right? And, and, And sometimes you need to follow your dreams, you know? God, you know... Your family, your career, you move to this city, you, you start this family, you start all these things, and uh, you're prospering, and then uh, you find out later that things have soured on you. You know, maybe, maybe you started off in, in, in life, and you went to school, and you got a degree, and you became a nurse or a doctor, or you're working in the medical profession, and all of a sudden, you're a hero, and you're saving the world, you're saving the planet, you're an essential worker. Only two years later, wake up. My company doesn't want me anymore. Well, if I don't get this experimental drug, I can't keep my job. Or you're no longer wanted. You're no longer a hero. You're yesterday's news, and you're just thrown to the curb. They're, you're fired. They say, hit the road. 
Sometimes it is time to hit the road. Sometimes God is taking you all this way. You mean you train me up in a medical profession? You mean you train me up to be this animal herdsman and prosper exceedingly, exceedingly, only to make me leave now? Yeah. Yeah, maybe he has. Okay, I'm not saying, don't, don't say Mike said this morning because I got this thing I'm praying about and I got to go to work tomorrow and tell my boss I quit. That's not what I'm saying. But pray some of these things through. Because often, as you're going along with what you knew was God's plan, you had no doubt in your mind. God called you to it. God built you up in it. God prospered your family in it. God was in it. And then it goes sour. And you start questioning, were you in it, God? And sometimes that's what God does to move you on. I don't want you to just sit there and just relax into all of your ease We've got more work to do. And so he'll make your life a little uncomfortable. He may, he may you know, ruffle your feathers, get you out of the nest, move on to the next, next phase. So um, this is what's happening with him. I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, where you made a vow to me. Now arise and get out of this land and return to the land of your family. Oh, yeah, that was the plan in the beginning. If I'm not mistaken, back in chapter 28, that's what Isaac said when he blessed Jacob in verses 3 through 4. And then God, again, in the dream, spoke to Isaac in, Isaac in chapter 28. At verse 13, he said, And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land which you lie, I will give you and your descendants. Also your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and the east and the north and the south. In you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. And Jacob has the family, and Jacob has the flocks. And now God says it's time to come and finish which we, that which we started. You need to move on. That might be a word for some of us boomers. I took my boomer moment. Maybe life's just beginning, or maybe a new chapter in your life is just beginning. Maybe this is a time where you step out of your comfort zone, and you walk into something. God has been talking to you and just saying, you know, you get this vision, and you, you get this impression on your heart. And it's like, man, step out in faith. See what God would do. Verse 17, or I'm sorry. Uh, verse 14, then Rachel and Leah answered and said to him, is there still any portion or inheritance for us in our father's house? Are we not considered strangers by him? For he has sold us, also completely consumed our money. For all these riches which God has taken from our father are really ours and our children's. Now then, whatever God has said to you, do it. That's a miracle. That's a bona fide miracle. You saw it here first. Did you read that? They agreed. The two wives agreed. You know the Holy Ghost is in it when everybody's on board, okay? This is the bond of the Holy Spirit and unity and love and peace, okay? And so they say, yep, you're right. Verse 17, then Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. That's a lot of camels. He's got a lot of boys. He's got a lot of wives. He's a pretty prosperous guy. And he carried away all his livestock and all his possessions which he had gained, his acquired livestock which he had gained in Padanaram, to go to his father Isaac in the land of Canaan. Now Laban had gone to shear his sheep, and Rachel had stolen the household idols that were her father's. And Jacob stole away, unknown to Laban the Syrian, in the, 
in that he did not tell him that he intended to flee. So he fled with all that he had. He arose and crossed the river and headed toward the mountains of Gilead. And it's time to be wrapping up, so I'm going to stop right there. It's a fun story to finish, and we'll try to pick it up and make it uh, flow into next week. But what is Jacob doing? He's sneaking out. He's just leaving, right? And um, it's going to come in the next section. He's going, to be, he's going to be accused of a lot of things. But think of this. Laban has been cheating Jacob for 20 years. Ten times, it says, right? Have you heard the saying, fool me once, shame on you? Fool me 11 times, shame on me? <laughs> Maybe you haven't heard it quite that way, but this is Jacob. I'm like, uh, every time I go to that sneaky old fox, he's really clever. He's really good. If I have found favor in your eyes, please stay with me a little bit longer. He doesn't want to give him another chance to do that. And sometimes, again, I don't want to make too much of a deal on this, but sometimes there's, there's just times where you just need to cut your losses and walk away. You don't have to make excuses. You don't have to even give explanations. Now, I'm not saying you just walk out on somebody. You don't just quit, pull up, and just not show up the next day or whatever. But if you've been talking and talking and talking, and sharing, and working, and you're bringing in counsel, and you're, you're doing all these different things, and nothing is happening, and it's going on forever and ever, sometimes it's time to just say, you know, boss, I think, well, you have to say, boss, I think I'm going to go away. Now, I would always, 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 so hear me here, I'd always encourage you to give a two-week notice. I'm not saying to be a sneaky person. I, I, that, that would, that's not honoring God in anything. But there does come a point where you have to resolve in your heart, you know what? This is not working. It hasn't been working, and God has called me to something different. I need to go, and He went, and His wives. Well, it's going to have complications. Actions do have consequences, right? But don't be afraid to walk in the Spirit. Don't be afraid to witness for the Lord. Don't be afraid to roll up your sleeves and live beautifully. And don't be afraid to trust God and give Him the glory for all the good that comes into your life. And as we go through 2022, 2023, 2024, if we get that far, should the Lord not return, what are we going to do? We're going to live beautifully. We're going to enjoy the life that God has given us. We're going to walk in His promises. We're going to gather our family around us and say, this is what the Lord has said. This is what God promised. This is what we're going to do. Family, that's what we're going to do. Tonight, we have an opportunity with the Harvest Crusade. We can pray for them. There are lives being changed for eternity. Just like yours was, somebody's coming down tonight to receive Jesus Christ. They'll never be the same. Every day, we have opportunity to just go out and share with people the good news. <laughs> I was once a sinner. Now I'm saved. I once was blind. Now I see. I've got the Holy Ghost. I have joy in my heart, and I don't have to drag around with me all of that envy and strife and conviction and, and all the, the things that come with it. God has delivered me from that, and we have a great message to go into the world and shine for Him. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, I thank You so much that You have given us Jacob as an example, a Jacob that I know I can relate to in my heart, and I know others can. Not a perfect man, but a God who served You 
our perfect God, a God who, through trials, learned to trust in you, learned to listen to you, learned to obey you, and became a testimony to us and the whole planet that we read about Him today. Help us learn from this example. Help us, Lord, to grow in the walk that you've laid out in front of us. Help us to come alongside our brothers and sisters as they go through these things. We thank you, Lord, for the the, the new flocks, the new sheep and goats that you're adding to our flock here at the springs. Each one precious and more on the way. Help us, Lord, to be a family that receives and, and, and nurtures and lifts up new believers and young people. Help us, Lord, to, to represent you in our community, that, Lord Jesus Christ, we would be that spring of living water people could come to and drink and never thirst again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.